When one reads like the writings of Archbishop Anastasios of Albania, if we're not looking beyond ourselves, if we're not developing a heart for the billions of people in the world who haven't heard about Christ, then we may actually cease to be the church. There was certainly a good reason, a great reason, why Christ said, now go into all the world and preach the gospel. Uh, he may have said that to a handful of followers at the time, but it really does apply to all of us today, doesn't it? Welcome to another edition of Come Receive the Light from the Orthodox Christian Network. I'm Mike Trout, and our host is Father Christopher Metropolis, the president of Hellenic College and Holy Cross Orthodox School of Theology. And on this edition of our program, we're going back to a conversation that took uh, place not too long after a missions trip was taken. Our host, Father Chris, talked with the leader of that trip, and we'll not only find out all of the life-changing things that uh, happened, but also perhaps plant a seed in your mind about getting involved in something similar in the future, and perhaps uh, go into all the world and share the gospel. Here's Father Chris. Five seminarians from St. Vladimir's Seminary, among them a recent graduate, ministered in Guatemala the last two weeks in May as part of an OCMC mission teaching team. Today we're talking with Deacon Christopher Moore, who was part of that team that offered religious education, catechism, and encouragement to church leaders, seminarians, and young adults as they wound their way through the provinces of, and I hope I don't kill this here, but <laughs> Weiwei Tenango, Escuitla, and culminating at Lake Amatitlan. I didn't do too bad there. I hope you had a chance to visit with Jennifer Rice, Christopher, when you were there, one of our recent graduates who's currently serving as a missionary in Guatemala. Yes, thank you so much, Father Chris. It's just a joy to be able to talk to you about our experiences in Guatemala. And yes, uh, we had the pleasure of having Jennifer accompany us for most of our travels throughout the country. She's, uh, she's been a friend of my wife and me for a couple years now. Mm -hmm. And it's been great to reconnect uh, there in Guatemala. Well, that's great. And it's, it's also, obviously, we're very proud of her, but we're also thrilled when we see uh, the two seminary graduates working together. That's very, very important to us. Amen. Of course, that's she coming from Holy Cross that I have the privilege to serve as, as president of. From the distance and time and space now, how, how do you view that experience? How has it enhanced maybe even your own faith? Mm. I would say in general that, you know, every mission trip uh, someone goes on has the potential to really change a person's life, change their perspective on the world, and, and it's going to deepen their faith, their prayer life uh, for the world. Um, my wife Jennifer and I are long-term missionaries with OCMC, and uh, so we've had the, the opportunity to be on several mission trips of, of different lengths, and uh, we've, seen, we've just seen God work in unexpected ways in, in us and through others. And uh, it's allowed us also to build friendships with people around the world that continue. Uh, so I guess specifically about Guatemala, uh, our, our experience was just so unique and special. Uh, we arrived uh, in Guatemala on the Feast of the Ascension, and we were greeted by the parishioners in Aguacate with, with confetti and with hugs. Uh, and it was just really touching. And uh, that, that warm welcome was repeated over and over again in our travels throughout the country. Outside of a two-day retreat that we gave uh, for church leaders, we were traveling every day. And uh, so I feel like we were exposed to a really decent cross-section of the life and ministries of the church there. 
um, both the hundreds of communities in the northwest and the west part of the country, and also the women's monastery, which has been established for, for many years in Guatemala City. So we saw the, the needs uh, of these parish communities that more recently came into the church um, and just the ever-present need of more Guatemalan priests to add to this only five faithful who serve right now. And we also saw the struggles and successes of the nuns who, along with their prayers, are laboring very hard to make an impact in the education and well-being of the society, despite some, even some government pushback. Is there any uh, record of, of the faithful there, how many faithful we're dealing with? Do you know? Yeah, um, so I would say the numbers that I heard, you know, we, originally we heard of uh, these big numbers, hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, they've able, been able to get more of a, a better grasp on those, those estimates, and it's probably closer to 50,000, which is still, you know, a, a very significant number of people. Sizable for four priests, yeah, no doubt about it. Absolutely. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about the, the people of Guatemala and their receptivity, let's say, to the Orthodox Christian faith. How, how is it to share your faith with a people of a, a very different culture from that, you, that yes. which you know? And how would you compare that experience to sharing and teaching Orthodoxy here in the United States of America? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so th- as, as you kind of heard, these people in Guatemala uh, who have accepted the Orthodox faith, uh, they've certainly been on a journey. Um, the major part of these Orthodox Christians uh, who live, especially in the mountain regions, are Mayans, uh, who sadly uh, over the years have been neglected um, in various ways by their government. So Father Andres Giron, who uh, reposed in the Lord just a few years ago, uh, was a Catholic priest, very active in speaking out politically for the rights of these Mayan people, he became very trusted as a spiritual leader among um, these great numbers of Mayans and Guatemalans, giving them hope, giving them stability. And it was, it was Father Andres who eventually took the active role uh, in seeing a path forward in the Orthodox faith, and um, which he could see showed promise of further growth in Christ for these communities and gave them a home in the world. Uh, I would say regarding the Guatemalans' receptivity of Orthodox Christianity, Many of these Christian communities were, that were networked with Father Andres uh, followed his lead and, and became Orthodox. There were others that didn't. Um, so, in fact, we, have, we see that there are certain communities on both sides who have been waiting and watching to see what's going to happen with the Orthodox Church there in the country. Uh, some communities that didn't convert are, are starting to see the Orthodox Church is indeed the direction that they want to go. Uh, and some communities that have converted are, are still, you know, kind of on the fence in some ways. What is it specifically? Is there anything there that says to you, well, why are they Orthodox? Why aren't they Catholic? Why aren't mm. they Protestant? Mm. What, what is that one or two or three things that you think turns them over to become converts to Orthodoxy? Yeah, I, I would say that there's certainly an, an authenticity in the Orthodox faith that these people seem to have found, and especially through Father Andres, who uh, was guiding these people, that maybe they had some problems with, with the Catholic Church that they were part of in the past that, that the Orthodox Church was able to provide. Uh, I guess I'm still kind of learning all the details about why these people decided to convert. Um, we're still all 
learning that history. Well, certainly a, a conversion of an individual is not something easy nor something that we can mm. you know, fully discuss in, in 15 minutes of a radio interview, but yeah. it does intrigue me when you see people in a culture that never knew orthodoxy, and then all of a sudden you see them coming. But mm -hmm. let's switch for a minute, and, and let's go to a different part of this discussion, which is sure. what do you think you were able to give, let's say, to the communities you visited? What did you learn from them? What are you carrying away with you? you I mean, obviously, you went in, you learned, they learned. Does anything specific that sort of jumps out at you? Yeah, this is, this is a great question, because I, I think... Uh, if we go on a mission trip and 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 have the attitude that like I'm the one that's giving everything, uh, I've got all the teaching and the resources, and I'm going to go out and help my brothers and sisters who are in need. Uh, that's I don't think that's a good perspective to have. Uh, so often, when we go, uh, we we see and how much the Holy Spirit is already working in the lives of the people that we go to meet, uh, who gives so abundantly gifts to these people. Uh, and enriches them. Uh, so that encourages us when we go to uh, be more faithful. Um, so I, I think there's, like you said, this mutual edification. There are, there are a couple things that are memorable for me that our team was able to give to the communities. Uh, first, I would say that uh, a sense of legitimacy of their Orthodox faith, which is indeed, as we say, the Church of Christ spread throughout the world, and not just a cult, Orthodoxy in Guatemala is just really unknown, and many people see it as some kind of cult. And I think this happened through our team, largely through just our presence and our appearance. Um, though we were all students from St. Vladimir Seminary in New York, uh, our team was composed of one man from Uganda, one man from Germany whose dad is German, but his mother is half Greek, half Coptic, uh, we had three Americans, two white guys from the Midwest, uh, one African-American man from St. Louis in Texas. Uh, so just the, the people saw us. What a cross-section. Huh? That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. uh, and they learn about our diversity. I, mm -hmm. I think, th as we were told, that this was just a boost to their faith. We learned that people there say they experience persecution. And uh, for us to be there and to encourage them, was was wonderful, and I think it's only <laughs> only the Holy Spirit that could work out such such a team for us to go down there. Yeah, it, it sounds like a tremendous journey. Uh, one more question for you before yeah. we let you go: uh, Would you recommend that seminarians go on such mission trips, and what thoughts would you like to leave with them? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I would recommend every seminarian go on a mission trip at least once in their years of study. Um, our team was was blessed to receive some grants from donors uh, from OCMC, uh, which made our trip um, essentially free. So we're so thankful for that opportunity. And I think this is common for OCMC to be able to provide um, some type of grant for, for seminarians who want to go on a trip. Um, seminarians, as we know, go on to become lay leaders, deacons, priests, and even bishops in, in the Orthodox Church. Uh, so it's important that missions at the local, the regional, the global level is upheld as a vital part about what it means to be the church. Um, when one reads, uh, like the writings of Archbishop Anastasios of Albania, uh, it's clear, as he says over and over again, that, that we as Christians are not, if we're not looking beyond ourselves, if we're not developing a heart for the billions 
of people in the world who haven't heard about Christ, then we may actually cease to be the church. Uh, so it's part of our ecclesiology, and so I think we need more uh, more clergy who are, have experienced mission, uh, who are saying to the parishioners, I hope and I expect some of you someday to to become missionaries somewhere in the world. So yeah, to, to my, my fellow seminarians, uh, really to all of your listeners, if you can, please go on a mission trip. Give yourself the opportunity to see what God is doing in his church around the world. Tremendous. Thank you very much, uh, Dean Christopher. We look forward to hearing from you in the future when you go on further trips. And we encourage, of course, the seminarians to participate with OCMC mission trips. We've followed OCMC now for decades in their remarkable work around the world. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Father Chris. You know, after so many years of being involved in uh, Christian outreach in a variety of ways, I've never gone on a mission trip. So I'm going to uh, spend a little time on the OCMC website and see what might be available and appropriate for myself and my wife. Uh, The website is ocmc.org. That's ocmc.org. We'll have a link to that on our website at myocn.net. This is Come Receive the Light. I'm Mike Trout. We're an outreach ministry of the Orthodox Christian Network, and our host is Father Christopher Metropolis. Well, all this month, we are doubling up on our Come Receive the Light broadcasts, and we'll be sharing with you a number of conversations appropriate for the season, the Christmas season. And to give you just a a taste of that, and a very timely taste, here again is Father Chris. Father Anastasius Kusulis of St. Anna's Greek Orthodox Church in Flemington, New Jersey, is with me today to talk about the conception of the Theotokos, the Mother of God, a feast day that is celebrated every year on December the 9th. Welcome, Father Anastasio. Thank you for having me, Father Chris. Uh, Remind us about Mary's parents, who they were. Tell us a little bit about them, would you? Well, the Church tradition has it that Joachim and Anna are the parents of the Virgin Mary. They were descendants of uh, David in the Old Testament, and... uh, Joachim was a shepherd, very wealthy, and he was very generous with his wealth. He said that he kept about a third for himself and his family, but the other two-thirds he shared with the temple and those in need. So uh, the tradition of the Church says that uh, married at the age of 20 and for about 50 years not having children. So it's really Mm. an inspiring story of uh, persistence, patience, faith, very devout people, Mm -hmm. uh, and actually being turned away by the temple when they made an offering to the temple. And we have this beautiful story of the Virgin Mary's conception through that. Now, there are those who are followers of the Scripture, which I hope there are many of our listeners, and they might say to you, well, wait a minute, none of this is in the Bible. Right. So how do we know about it? It's the Church tradition. It's the writings of the early Church Fathers. Uh, We know the Bible was written for a purpose. When we have that 10-page paper we have to write, we have all that (laughs) other information we didn't quite get into the 10-page paper, but it's still useful information. Uh, there was reference to the Gospel of James. Not a, It's an apocryphal writing, but this information comes from other writings and the, and the hymns and the Church Fathers of the Church. Well, I think you, you say it very well, because one of our uh, staff people years ago would say to me, you know, Father, we'd go around the country and we'd speak, and he was a, um, a convert to Orthodoxy, and he said, for years I was eating from 20% of the banquet table. And, mm. and he said, now I can actually eat from 
I love that. That's and, and it's really true because there there is the Holy Scripture, which of course is a very essential part of our faith. But there's also the writing of the fathers. There's the experience and the life of the church over the centuries that imbues itself in all of these things. So I think it's very important. You, you put it very well. Um, let me ask you this question: Why do we celebrate the birth of the Theotokos? Why do we Why do we celebrate Mary's birthday? Yeah, it's interesting. In the church, we really don't celebrate birthdays, do we? We have but three births we celebrate. Of course, Jesus' birth on December 25th, birth of St. John the Baptist on his June 24th, and the Virgin Mary's birth on, on September 8th. So we really don't celebrate birthdays except these great events in history where uh, Christ comes into the world uh, to save the world. So all the, the hymns of the church for either the conception coming up December 9th or the Virgin Mary's birth on September 8th, refer to her being uh, this vehicle for us towards salvation, that she's going to bring forth the Christ, who is the Son of Righteousness, right? These mm-hmm. beautiful hymns we have. So it's really pairing us up with Christ. And we also often refer to her uh, as the first amongst saints. Why do you think that is? Yeah, the beautiful prayers we have in the Divine Liturgy, right? Remembering our most holy, pure, blessed, glorious, ever-Virgin Mary, the Theotokos, and with all the saints, right? Let us commit ourselves to one another. So by understanding this ultimate human being, Virgin Mary having no personal sin of her own, being born of you know, natural parents, and, uh, and her complete dedication to the Lord, it's just she's the ultimate human being for us. She's the ultimate example, whether we're male or female. We're talking about many qualities that Mary had, but what about her parents? How do they serve as examples for us, and as modern-day Christians. Yeah, there's so many lessons, I think, from this. I mean, just Joachim and Anna's faith, uh, being uh, told by Archangel Gabriel that they will bring forth a child, and she'll be dedicated to the Lord, and her name will be Mary. So their faith, perseverance, I would say, in in adversity, uh, being rejected. But I think the biggest, for me, is the biggest lesson here is patience. Mm. This world of Cyber Mondays and a click of the mouse and drive-throughs and you know I want it now. This fifty years. How can I even imagine fifty years being patient and being faithful yeah. and, and and fulfillment through that that patience of Joachim and Anna? I think it's a it's an amazing story. It's an amazing story, Father Anastasio. Thank you very much for joining us today. I, I appreciate your time. Thank you. As always, if you want to listen to any of these conversations again, you can simply go to our website at myocn.net, click on the Listen button, and then select Come Receive the Light. This is Come Receive the Light, a part of the Orthodox Christian Network, and we are a nonprofit outreach, and especially here toward the end of the year, it's so important that we hear from you. Let us know that you listen, and if you can, include us in your year-end giving. That would mean a great deal. You can give safely when you go to that website. Again, myocn.net. Well, until we're back with another edition of Come Receive the Light, please remember to always have faith in what you listen to. I see the world your way, and I'm not afraid to follow. I see the world your way, and I'm not ashamed to say so. I see the Jesus way. And I'm walking in life